Welcome to the Digitally Native podcast, a podcast that explores what it means to be digital and to live digital lives. I'm your host, Fungai, and together we will explore a range of topics and trends around digital and social media and digital innovation. So grab a drink, buckle up, and let's get right into it. Hello, 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 and welcome to this week's episode of the podcast. Now, it's been a little bit of a while since uh, the last episode. Uh, May was a very busy month. A lot was happening, and uh, we're just catching up now and trying to get more content for you to listen to. So uh, today's episode will be a look back at a presentation I made in May. Uh, for Africa Comms Week. Um, Africa Comms Week is an annual event that happens towards the end of May to coincide with Africa Day on the African continent, and it brings together different African comms practitioners, communications practitioners, experts, leaders, thinkers, uh, to discuss different themes and areas to do with communications. And so my presentation was uh, titled... Digital Storytelling, A New Borderless Trade for Africa. Well, it has a question mark at the end sometimes, um, and it's a question really. Um, In the presentation, I talk through what digital storytelling is and how we might start to think about it as this form of trade that African comms practitioners and African professionals in general, activists and other groups, non-professionals even, can think about it as a way of um, augmenting or increasing the reach of uh, activism and projects and ideas and thought and the like. So um, I will be offering you some of the bits of that presentation. Um, I'm not going to be able to uh, share the Q&A just uh, for the purposes of um, uh, thinking through Uh, the participants consent for this so you will just listen to the presentation I made Uh, and I hope that you'll find it enriching and um, if you have any thoughts about it please do get in touch Um, as always you can tweet us our our, uh, handle on twitter is at native podcast you can also find the facebook page which is the digitally native podcast with fungai machirori or else you can find us on our website. Yes, we now have a website. I think I've been promising a website for a while. Um, but then the, the website is now live and you can find it at www.digitallynativepodcast.com. There you will find past episodes, current episodes. Um, there's a little player as well that you can play the podcast directly from. You'll also find a blog section uh, which discusses some of uh, the digital trends and topics that we don't always have time to talk through on this podcast, but you know, you'll find some blog content for now, not so much, um, as well as um, our vlog content. Now, um, in May, uh, we started recording some vlog content and you'll find uh, a couple of links there to some content the first one being a vlog about lemonade and a run through how it works and some of the dynamics of it being uh, obviously an app that is owned by ByteDance the company that owns TikTok 
the second episode of the vlog series has me looking at how Africans are inserting themselves into global uh, events uh, through the digital space and what that might mean in terms of uh, people representing themselves and challenging ideas about you know non-representation within African or not African within global context so have a deep dive into that and do let us know what you think you can send an email obviously to info at digitallynativepodcast.com as well uh, and the other thing to look out for if you do look at our website is the sub subscribe button uh, now you can subscribe to our monthly newsletter where we discuss various things to do with the digital space uh, we offer opportunities news resources and anything else that might be of interest so uh, if you're interested in having something that comes to you that's a synthesis of some of the things that we discuss here as well as on social media please do subscribe so that uh, we can have more of that conversation together all right i won't take up too much more time please do have a listen and uh you know let us know what you think so this presentation will look at digital storytelling. And the way we're framing this is, is digital storytelling a new borderless trade for Africa? How might we think about uh, digital storytelling as a means for telling new stories about the continent and as well as, as a trade? Because I don't think we tend to think of trade in this way. We think of um, goods, services, and other skills as trade. However, digital storytelling has its own mechanisms for us to think about as a trade. And so this is what we're going to be looking at in this presentation. Um, before I go into too much detail about that, I think it's important for me to introduce myself. My name is Fungai Machirori. I am from Zimbabwe. I am a digital practitioner. I have many years um, of experience in producing, creating digital content and creating digital platforms. I have a history as a blogger um, some years ago, many years ago, that's how I entered the digital world. I didn't find a space that was viable for me to speak about and express issues that were important to me. There was only the mainstream media at that point in time. And so I started to blog as a way to create an outlet for my own opinions and expressions. That eventually grew into other projects, which included Her Zimbabwe, which was a uh, women's web-based platform, which was encouraging young women's digital storytelling. Um, a very successful platform, um, which raised a lot of interest, but also trained a lot of young women in the skills around digital storytelling, blogging, digital security um, and how to find your voice online. So you can learn a little bit more about me um, on my personal website, which is fungaimachirori.com. I've given that in uh, the, the slide. So <clears throat> before we get a little bit more into the detail of this presentation, I think it's always important to start to understand or to create a collective understanding of what digital storytelling is. I don't think there are hard and fast rules about what we should consider to be digital storytelling. However, there is obviously the digital component to it and there is the storytelling to it. Now stories come in various shapes, forms, formats, and what I might consider a story might not necessarily be what somebody else considers a story. Nonetheless, 
you know, a story is something that, you know, creates an idea about something and narrates it to somebody else. So when we think about digital storytelling, we're thinking about this with the, the aid or the assistance of digital tools. This can be through blogging, through writing things, through taking videos of things, to recording things, podcasting. So vlogging as well comes under video and uh, photography music, so many different formats and ways we can think about digital storytelling. And I think most importantly, so many different platforms and tools we can use for digital storytelling. Um, and so I'll start this conversation at a very topical point. I think something that we all relate to because we experienced it. It feels a little bit now looking backwards as though COVID never really happened. And yet at the same time, it did. It shifted so much about our lives. It brought us more into the digital space. Um, and, you know, there were so many different conversation points that came about as a result of COVID. And one thing that was very apparent from the beginning of the pandemic, I mean, it started out mostly in the West. And for a little bit of time, Africa and Africans were spectators to what was going on, but we were also subjects of the content that people were creating about what would happen on the African continent. And um, in 2000, 2021, there was this very topical piece by the New York Times with the title, A Continent Where the Dead Are Not Counted. Now that became a very topical issue. Um, brought a lot of controversy with it, with a lot of people pushing back against it because the article imposed findings about Nigeria's COVID response and statistics thereof upon an entire continent of 54 countries. So, I mean, this collapsing of Africa into this one single entity and the creation of the idea um, that what happens in one place would happen um, across the continent was already um, very rife and very much um, the same trope that has existed previously was being used and exploited again. Now, one really interesting response to that was by um, the 20, well, she's now older, but um, Sianda Mohutsiwa, um, a very young um, Botswana native who has been using the digital space for many years now and engaging around how young Africans use social media to push back and find their voices and engage. And so in the photograph that I've put in this slide, you will see um, this is Sianda in 2016 giving a TED talk, which sits at over 1 million views today. And in this TED talk, she's talking about how young Africans found a voice on Twitter. And so she's talking about um, a viral hashtag that she began at that time, which was if Africa was a bar. I'm not sure if anyone remembers that, but it was a very interesting way that people started to engage around stereotypes about their own countries. So if Africa was a bar, what would um, the Zimbabwean be drinking? What would the Nigerian be doing? What would the Kenyan be saying? You know, So this very interesting way of thinking about nationality and people um, within this bar context. Anyway, Sianda put out a 22 tweet Twitter thread uh, where she contrasted the New York Times coverage of Asia's COVID response, which she called good journalism to that of their Africa coverage, which she critiqued for being unbalanced and reductive. I mean, we can already see that from the first slide that I shared. 
And um, this is from a report that was done last year by Nikabs and Ndlovu, where they looked at um, COVID coverage in greater detail. And um, we're trying to find out what the main themes were coming out of um, coverage about the, the continent during this time. And I'll quote from some of their findings, which say, just as with global coverage of Ebola and HIV and AIDS, the Western media outlets continued to report on Africa as a homogeneous entity and did not give attention to how COVID-19 was impacting differently in different countries, albeit that it gave some attention to South Africa, where death rates were high. So in a sense, everyone else was lumped together and then South Africa sort of had um, a different life um, or a different experience of being covered within the COVID pandemic. And they go on to say that the media used words like could, will, will most certainly, will turn into to prophesy doom for the continent, especially expressing doubt that the hospital infrastructure on the continent could cope. So in this time frame before the pandemic really hit the continent, there was all this talk about, well, you know, if the rest of the world is not able to cope, Africa is definitely going to collapse. So it was very um, pessimistic language and imagery that was constantly being evoked. And this feeds very well into this idea of Afro-pessimism. And Afro-pessimism is uh, it's this pessimism about Africa's capacity to overcome de developmental challenges, which relate to health, development, governance, and poverty, among other issues. Um, African crises, therefore, feed into this dominant representation of Africa and Africans as the dark continent characterized by incompetence. And I just put up a photo there of um, a cover some years ago by the, by the Economist magazine, where they had um, framed Africa as the hopeless continent. You see a man there with his machine gun, um, you know, there's darkness around him and just the silhouette of Africa. So it's again, this idea, all there is is war and hopelessness and death. And yet, if we look again at this, this moment, this COVID moment, and think a little bit about what happened, you know, in, in the narrative, in, in what was produced and generated by Africans, it's very interesting how that subverts this very dark Afro-pessimistic narrative. So I'm sure many of you would have encountered the Ghana pallbearers or the dancing pallbearers at some point during the pandemic, especially at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, if you went on social media at that time and people were trying to encourage people to wash their hands or stay at home, you would have these Ghanaian pallbearers um, copied into the video or brought in in some way um, as, as lurkers who were waiting for you to do the wrong thing so that, you know, if you did do the wrong thing, you would die. And, you know, this is a very um, interesting group of, of people. They had appeared on the BBC um, before the pandemic. And what they do is they have this very elaborate dance routine that they perform um, at funerals where they would carry the coffin um, of the deceased over their shoulders and they would be, you know, sort of dancing around and making these very daring moves, you know, at a funeral. And so people found that very interesting. And again, this, this content just emerged at that time. And so they were being brought into public health messaging and they were being brought into content um, of a humorous nature to try to encourage people to stay at home or else, you know, they would come and, uh, and dance at your funeral in this way. 
And so dancing pole bearers was mentioned at least 60,000 times by English Twitter, English speaking Twitter in April 2020. And this is at just the beginning of the pandemic and garnered more search queries for the term than in the previous history of Twitter altogether. So obviously it was a new term. It was a new craze. And so people were really interested to see what was going on. And so they were able to get, get a lot of virality through their content. But the group also appeared on official public health messaging in countries such as Brazil. There were actual billboards um, that, that the Brazilian government had put out with their, their image saying, you know, you need to be safe or else these guys are coming to visit you. So that shows um, some of the impact of African content at this time that, you know, everyone thought, well, these Africans are all going to fall off, die, and, you know, there will be no continent left to speak of. Another really interesting um, trend is the Jerusalem Dance Challenge. Um, now this is was something that was almost choreographed um, so perfectly for the pandemic. It starts out with this gospel song um, that comes out of South Africa. And then there is an Angolan dance troupe. This is pre-COVID who starts to choreograph this dance sequence to the song. Um, and it's very socially distant. This is pre-COVID, but then it's socially distant. And you know, people can participate in it together, but apart. And so obviously when the pandemic hits, people are in their homes and they're very tired of being in their homes. They want to socialize, but they also want to uh, respect the mandates of social distancing and other things. And so what people then do is start dancing to this dance challenge, the Jerusalem dance challenge, where they come together in these groups in socially distant ways. And, you know, the song is playing and they're following this, this choreography of the Angolan dancers who had made the content go viral on the continent. So by October 2020, a few months into the trend, content with the Jerusalem challenge hashtag had almost 200 million TikTok views, with the song itself gaining over a billion video views and soundtracking over 100, 800 million creations of the same platform. That was massive. Everyone got on board with that dance challenge. It just went global and viral. And it's very interesting to think how a gospel song in Zulu, which very few people would understand outside of South Africa and maybe some parts of Southern Africa, could go so viral internationally. And also we can see when we look at some of the activism that happened at that same time, similar kinds of virality, you know, intercontinental sharing of content and things going on. One of those um, most popular um, activism moments was the NSARS campaign, which started towards the end of 2020, when Nigerians um, took to social media, um, challenging the police and um, brutality that the police were meeting out on citizens. And, you know, that became a very, very big moment um, for digital activism on the continent. Nigeria with its great numbers of people, um, its great numbers of influencers outside of Nigeria as well, who were able to push um, this hashtag outside of Nigeria into the greater world um, and, and shed light on something that very few people outside of Nigeria might have known about. And so that was a very viral moment that um, fed into a lot of other activist causes and movements, one of which 
was um, Zimbabwean Lives Matter. Now, to, just to take it a step back, I think there's something to be said about how Black Lives Matter, which resurfaced in 2020, had then created this kind of conversation point where people started to talk about police brutality and they started to, to use the language of Black Lives Matter to talk about their own causes. So NSARS is you know, very much linked in, in certain ways to Black Lives Matter with its discussions about police brutality. But Zimbabwean Lives Matter takes on the kind of language of Black Lives Matter and says, well, if Black Lives Matter, Zimbabwean Lives Matter too. And that was also a viral moment where Zimbabweans came online and were discussing a lot of the brutality that they are experiencing at the hands of um, the government and the state of affairs in the country. And so that was um, uh, equally interesting, not as big an audience, obviously, as Nigeria. Nigeria is exponentially bigger to Zimbabwe. And I think one thing that's really interesting to take note of about the Zimbabwean Lives Matter um, is that it Sort of, sort of started to go very viral at a certain moment. And that moment had a lot to do with the now late rapper, AKA. Um, he put out a tweet early in August and he said, imagine your fellow African too busy focused on Black Lives Matter happening 15,000 kilometers away to care about those very same Black lives next door. Black is my king, stay strong Zimbabwe. So he was putting all these kinds of tweets out, but he had started with um, a, a question and said, what is going on in Zimbabwe? And then Zimbabwe started to, to, to tweet back to him. And then this moment started to get very viral and um, other people, other South African influencers started to get involved. Now, Zimbabwe is a very small country, under 20 million people. South Africa, you know, much larger than that. And it almost needed that this, this narrative needed to, 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 to go into South Africa, to migrate to South Africa, to become viral enough in South Africa to assist the Zimbabwean cause. And so that's when we talk about borderless trade, these ideas, how things can go viral actually from another place and then come back to where they came from initially is a very interesting dynamic, especially when we think about uh, the dynamics of countries with smaller populations. Now, this is a tweet that was put out around that time or a little bit later on um, by Doug Coltart, who is um, a legal professional in Zimbabwe. And he says, wow, check out the top trends in Zimbabwe today. This is real Pan-Africanism, Africans standing in solidarity with fellow Africans. So this is the trend um, of hashtags that was um, that were most viral in Zimbabwe on that day. And you see that you have NSARS, you have Congo is bleeding, you have Zimbabwean Lives Matter, you have Anglophone crisis, and you have rape national emergency, shut it all down, am I next? So there were all these different kinds of causes happening. In South Africa, there was a lot of conversations about the murders of women um, by their intimate partners and things like that. And so all these kinds of hashtags started to sit together. Um, Anglophone crisis had sort of been moving for a while, you know, it's this issue of the in Cameroon of the separations of Francophone Cameroon and Anglophone Cameroon. And so all these hashtags started to meet each other and converge and help each other to become viral in places they might not have become viral. And in a sense, people started to know more about issues beyond their own borders and to engage with them because, um, you know, there was a kind of trade 
you are putting my word out there, but I'm also putting your word out there. So we're helping each other to have our our mutual um, issues listened to and um, dealt with or addressed. So we can think about digital storytelling in many ways, but I like to think of it as a powerful trade. It's a powerful way of exchanging ideas. It nurtures Pan-African ideals and principles. It enables Africans to learn more about their continent and each other. It enables content that might not otherwise have gone viral to do so especially when countries with bigger audiences get involved, like I've shown with uh, Zimbabwean Lives Matter and South Africa. It also enables this borderless solidarity. Um, there is, you know, a lot of times we, we hold dearly to the idea of our national identities, our borders, but at the same time, there's this conversations we are always having about how the borders of the continent are not constructed by Africans. They're a, a, a colonial legacy. And so when we have these ideas that travel across the continent, it then foments this borderless solidarity and this pan-Africanism that, you know, all these um, post-colonial states and states people wanted to bring about on the continent. So we need to now think as well about digital storytelling as this powerful trade for ourselves as communications practitioners. And um, now I'm framing this from a very um, activist and entertainment um, level to our communications practices. And the reason why I started with those um, examples was because I think they're very um, relatable. We all went through the COVID pandemic and we all kind of know what kept us sane or somewhat sane at that point in time. And so I think it's relatable in that way, but now I want to frame it to a more comms perspective to get us to think about some questions that we might want to um, think through in our digital storytelling as communications practitioners, as organizations, as collectives, as individuals. And so here's just a few questions I have to pose. How can we as communications practitioners engage in digital storytelling across borders? It doesn't always have to be activism. It doesn't always have to be entertainment, but how can we start thinking about telling each other's stories in the hopes that you, know, you gain an audience that you might otherwise not have and vice versa. The other people also gain an audience that they might otherwise not have. What storylines in our national work overlap with other contexts? So many of us, I'm sure, would be working within national contexts. Um, but, you know, we might um, have information that goes beyond the borders of our countries. How could we bring those conversation points into something that was wider than just focusing on one issue or the issue at hand in that context? Because I think issues tend to uh, emerge, you know, they come and then they go and then they come again. But then once they've gone from one's national context, they might be uh, topical in another context as well. So if you want to keep a storyline going about something, for instance, I'm just taking this off the top of my head. Um, you know, if there's flooding in a place, I mean, we've we've seen flooding in different parts of the continent. We know that climate change is an issue. Um, and if you want to keep a storyline going about a climate change theme, for example, it might not be something that's happening in that context at that time, but it's happening somewhere else in the continent. And you can 
paint this bigger picture of this is the bigger picture issue. It's affecting us here in these ways, but sometimes it's affecting other people in these ways, but it's still the same underlying theme or storyline. So to think about the continuous nature of a narrative versus the events-based nature of narratives, which tends to be how we do our work, because you know we, 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 we respond to things as and when they come, but sometimes there is that value in thinking about, well, this is an issue that affects different groups of people. How can we embed it into our storyline so that even if it is not nationally contextual at that time, we're still talking about it. And also, how can we make country offices operations more engaged with what happens with other country offices? So if you're working for a, a, a big um, international organization or a regional organization and there's you know, country offices, and um, it tends to happen that the country offices focus on what happens in their countries. But then again, going back to that point just before, how can we have storylines where we actually start to feed in or feed from um, other contexts and bring together this richer um, narrative about an, an issue rather than just looking at it from a national context? Also, how can we use our social media platforms more effectively for solidarity building and knowledge sharing? For example, using different hashtags and single posts, <clears throat> retweeting or liking or sharing or commenting. <clears throat> I think, um, you know, the, the example I showed of these hashtags that went viral at the same time because people were using them simultaneously. You know, it goes back um, to, I'm just thinking of this, this quote that says, we don't live single issue lives. Our lives are never about one single thing. We're multifaceted and there are always multiple things happening at a time. And so um, how to think about when, when we post content to not just be uh, focused on this one hashtag or this one issue that's happening or this one context that we know about, but to bring other contexts, to bring other voices, to bring other issues in and to make it a, a larger narrative. And then what other tools do we have at our disposal? You know, going back to what digital storytelling is, you know, social media is the big one. At the moment, it's the easiest, it's one of the easier ones as well to, to provide um, examples of, but there are so many other digital tools and platforms that we have at our disposal that we can use to tell our stories and to share them. So to think broadly and not just focusing always on social media and social media reach. So that's um, a little bit about the digital storytelling as the trade. Um, I think it's also important to introduce what we do. Um, I have my assistant on this call. Um, he's the one who is letting you into the room um, and, um, you know, handling all of those things that um, I can't do right now because I'm presenting. Uh, we run a platform called the Digitally Native Platform. Um, we started with a podcast. It started with a podcast. Um, and then it became a bigger thinking about, well, what is missing from the space and what can we offer? I have, as I said already, many years in the space and um, I'm always engaged in digital themes and topics. So the podcast looks at digitality from an African standpoint. We try to discuss issues and themes from an African perspective. Um, you know, there's all these conversations about where, where the future of social media is, but we don't tend to have a voice from the African continent. You know, I think at the beginning of the year, there was the Twitter exodus conversation. A lot of people were leaving Twitter to join other platforms or to completely disengage. 
And I, I asked a, a few people, well, would you leave Twitter? And people said, no way, I won't leave Twitter because you know that's where I find my news, my information and some of my community. So I think when we think about some of these themes and issues that are happening in the broader world, there isn't always a contextual idea about how they affect Africa and Africans. Um, and so you'll see even in the banner, there's a conversation there. The last episode we um, uploaded um, is a conversation with the TikTok Sub-Saharan Af Sub Africa office um, to get an idea of, well, what are you doing on the continent? And what is the conversation about the TikTok? You know, there's this whole conversation about TikTok potentially um, being banned in a lot of Western countries. How does that affect us as Africans? Are we part of that conversation? Are we at risk? You know, what is the, the, the policy outlook of TikTok on the African continent? So always trying to bring it back to the African context. I've done um, research around what I've just talked about in greater detail. Um, it's got a bit more of a, an academic name when I talk about it in those spaces, but it's what I call African digital cosmopolitanism. And it's you know redefining this global citizenship through young African digital narratives. So this is a report I, I produced for Africa No Filter uh, last year. And it's just basically looking at some of these dance trends and different viral moments and saying, well, does this not challenge the idea that information always flows from the Western world to Africa? Sometimes, and a lot of the times, Africans are producers of this content that goes viral. And you know, different countries help each other to create that virality. And then it goes out into the greater world. And then you know, we have these moments where everyone is listening to what is going on on the continent. So our services as the Digitally Native platform, we do digital storytelling. We help clients to um, figure out what their story is and how they want to present it um, in the digital space. We also help with strategic communications planning, monitoring and evaluation, as well as research and documentation. Um, to get in touch with us, to learn a little bit more about what we do, you can visit our website, which is www.digitallynativepodcast.com. Uh, you can also email us at info at digitallynativepodcast.com. We're on Twitter at Native Podcast. You can also find us on Facebook or LinkedIn at the Digitally Native Podcast with Fungai Machirori. Alrighty then, that's a wrap for today and I really hope that you found something of use from this episode and uh, if you have anything to share, as I said at the beginning of the episode, please do feel free to send us a tweet at Native Podcast, an email, uh, info at Digitally Native Podcast or you can find us as well on Facebook, uh, in the, the Digitally Native Podcast with Fungai Machirori. And uh, do not forget, please, to subscribe to that button on our website, as well as to our YouTube channel, actually. Um, you should subscribe so you have first dibs on the new content that we will create as we go along. All right, then. I really wish you a good start to June. I know we're kind of into it already, but um, this is the first full week of June. I hope you have a good one. And uh, we'll see you next week. Take care.